For years, Rewind has been successfully backing up thousands of small businesses' data that is stored in cloud apps like Shopify, BigCommerce, and Trello, saving these small businesses from CSV import errors, employee mistakes, and app integrations that didn't go as planned. Rewind has also been backing up QuickBooks Online company data too. That's right, cloud accounting world, I did say back up QuickBooks Online company data. Stay tuned to hear more from our sponsor, Rewind, later in the episode. You wouldn't actually make any money if you invested in those companies. That is how useless earnings numbers are. And I would not make money because I can't predict what the market's going to do? No, no, even if you could, which you can't, it's impossible. But even if you could only invest in companies that beat earnings estimates, you actually wouldn't make real money. And the reason is that bottom line number is distorted because of gap and isn't actually useful anymore. Today is Sunday, July 25th. This is the Cloud Accounting Podcast. I'm Blake Oliver. And I'm David Leary. Blake, we just saw each other face to face, and now we get to do it again tonight. Amazing. We're all headed to AICPA Engage in Las Vegas after being in New Orleans for Accounting Salon. Very different conferences. Accounting Salon was 20 people, and AICPA Engage, I think, is projected to be did you hear the latest numbers? I think 1,500 was the number I heard a while ago, but who knows with the Delta variant, are people going to stay home? Are maybe more people going to come out? It's hard to say. I have not heard the exact number, but I think um, in general, it's just a bigger conference. It's going to be much bigger. But Accounting Salon was your first conference back that you've done in person. It was after a year and a half of being at home, nesting, uh, bought a house in Arizona, did the whole trying to furnish it during COVID, got very comfortable working from home in my home office. And that's a big change for me because I used to work out of a WeWork and I was used to that sort of uh, dynamic environment of startups. And I would, even when I worked at home, go to coffee shops every day in LA because I needed to get out of my apartment because when you live in a small apartment, that's what you do. But now here I am out in the great state of Arizona, I basically never need to leave my neighborhood or the house. So yeah, it was strange being at a conference. And I have to say, I couldn't, I had this sense of unease, to be honest, David. It was great to see my friends and colleagues, but it was weird. It felt strange. And I was wondering, maybe I was feeling some sort of social anxiety after not seeing a lot of people for a while. Um, I couldn't quite put my finger on it. I hope it goes away. Did it feel strange or was it just surreal? It Honestly, it wasn't as enjoyable as I thought it would be. I'm wondering if maybe I'm experiencing the same thing that a lot of workers are experiencing. I mean, there's been a lot of talk during the pandemic about how people are reevaluating priorities. The downtime has allowed them to select new careers or think about changing careers, like a huge percentage of knowledge workers say they want to change careers, actually all workers. And I don't think I can go back to doing travel six months out of the year. Before the pandemic, you know, doing marketing at a software company, going out to all the accounting conferences, I, I used to travel every week or every other week for half the year. And having now just done the business travel thing again, it's kind of lost its joy for me. I, I, I don't want to get on planes. I, I don't want to sit confined next to all those people all the time. I, I, you know, I just, 
yeah, it's different. Things have changed for me and I'm still trying to reconcile it all. Yeah. I mean, I think this will be my fifth trip in the last six weeks that I've been out of town. Um, four for business and then one for um, just personal. But it just, you're right. You, you're, you're trying to balance home life and doing things at home. And we're so out of the ordinary to do this. Right. Yeah. And everything's yeah. rusty and you're still like, how do I pack? I don't know how to pack. <laughs> like everything's just, we're just really rusty at it. And you're right. And the comfort level is part of this. You haven't traveled in a long time. It's different. And then on top of that, it's di- traveling is different than it used to be. You can't get a, a beverage on an airplane. An that, adult that. beverage. <laughs> you have to wear your mask. Well, right. Yeah, um, yeah. Everything's just a little, everything's just off. And then even on the airplane, it's crazy because you're on the airplane, you get off like, oh, you know, it is. It's, sometimes you want to just get off the plane and breathe some air in an open area. And then you get off and you're just still stuck with your mask on. So it's, yeah. just, it's completely different. But then I had a little bit of an adventure after accounting salon, airplane related. Well, so, before you get into that, I just want to say like, I don't, I don't mean that I don't want to travel anymore, but I think I want to cut it back a lot. I want to do a lot less travel. And I think that, I don't know, if my experience is anything close to what, you know, the average business person is feeling, then I don't think business travel is going to come back to 100%. Why would people go back to that when we've had the the joy of not having to do it? And honestly, I think as much as we like to hate on Zoom when we sit in too many Zoom meetings, it's so much better in a lot of ways than traveling to talk to people. Like I can actually have meaningful conversations one-on-one on Zoom. And sometimes, you know, when you're traveling, it's actually harder because you're trying to talk to a bunch of people all at once and you can have maybe five minutes with somebody and then you're on to the next person. And Or it's too loud. Or it's too loud. Yeah, exactly. I, I'm like yelling the whole time. Anyway, I, I'm not saying I don't want to do it anymore. I'm just... To close this out, I just want to say, like, my theory is, um, you know, I wouldn't be betting on airline stocks or hotels because I, I don't think it's coming back anytime soon. The same way that I don't think working in the office full time is coming back for all of us. Some of us, yes, but a good chunk of us are going to do hybrid. We're going to do remote, and that's better. We're better off because we get to spend time with our families. And I missed my family in a way that I haven't before. And I think part of that was because I got to spend so much time with them over the last year and a half. And uh, I, I connected with them and my son and my wife and I miss them. I, I don't want to be away as much as I used to. It could be an age of maturity as well, right? Like, <laughs> Maybe I'm just getting older. <laughs> like, well, I mean, New Orleans is like fun and a big party town, but at the same time, you, you got to be young to really take advantage of that big party. <laughs> That's true. It's a, it's a, well, it's I don't know, David, you, uh, you were out late. You, you seemed to enjoy yourself. I did stay out late the one night we went to, to the casino with... Um, Kenji from Acuity and some other accounting salon people. And we played a pie gal, I think, which is kind of nice because like when there's enough of you and you're joking around enough, your money just goes very slow, mm. which is always a good way to uh, to gamble. It's a little bit more of a, a roller coaster that way. Um, you don't want a two-minute roller coaster. You want a 45-minute roller coaster. This episode of the Cloud Accounting Podcast is sponsored by Odoo. I was checking out Odoo the other day, and sure, it has all the typical features you would expect in a highly customizable cloud ERP system, including dozens of built-in modules and thousands of third-party apps. But one of the built-in app modules really caught my eyes. It's a spreadsheet, but not any spreadsheet. It's a spreadsheet that is built directly into the accounting system. By using Odoo's built-in spreadsheet module, you can model and manipulate your data, and it instantly stays up to date without any exports or integrations. 
It's crazy powerful. Imagine a sales rep updating a projected sale amount in a CRM module and having instantly reflected in your spreadsheet. The accounting and invoicing modules are always free, so there's no reason not to give Odoo and the spreadsheet module a try today. Head over to cloudaccountingpodcast.promo slash Odoo. That is cloudaccountingpodcast.promo forward slash O-D-O-O. Unleash your growth potential with Odoo. Anyway, I cut you off and you were going to talk about your experience. Yeah. So I, I went to leave Wednesday afternoon, you know, in Southwest, you know, you're watching your flights and, oh, all of a sudden my flights get delayed an hour. But was, I was like, oh, my flight out of New Orleans is delayed an hour. The flight out of Denver, my connection was also delayed an hour. I was like, all right, this will be okay. Then they change the flights closer, then they delay them. And it, this dance keeps happening. I'm like, all right, I better mm-hmm. just go to the airport. So I go to the airport, sitting there. I'm like, okay, I'm here. I have two hours of window. I'll be able to relax. I'm prepared, you know, for whatever happens. Then I start getting a phone call. And you know how you don't like to answer phone calls. You don't recognize the number. Right. So I don't recognize the number. So I just send it to voicemail, send it to voicemail. Then finally, I'm like, okay, this is the third time this guy's calling. So I answered it, not recognizing the name at all. It's Southwest Airlines. Hey, you're not going to make your connection, but there's a flight that's leaving in like two minutes. If you run to the gate, you can get on it and we'll get you home through Chicago. So I basically just, actually, I left my tab. Byron Patrick picked it up for me, but I jumped on an airplane, came home, got home. So it was a flight to another flight that I had no time to transfer. Got home. <laughs> via Chicago. <laughs> via Chicago. So complete change of plans. Got home. So that was Wednesday night. Thursday was kind of cool. Everything was okay, except for, you know, we've had these massive rainstorms in Arizona. Yes. So massive rainstorms. We My house gets struck by, well, the pole right outside of my house. So you're talking, you know, 25 yards from my my garage door. I get struck by lightning. So we lose power for 36 hours. Uh, it fries the cable modem, the router, two switches. <laughs> and I'm sure there's probably something else fried in the house that I don't even know yet. But well, it's and okay. luckily it was cool because of all the rain. So you weren't roasting without power. Yeah, it was one night with no, no air conditioning and no power. Okay. Um, and it was, uh, it's been an adventure and basically got the internet working. Whenever I texted you last night, what was that, 9 p.m. at night? I finally have internet again. And we're recording this morning. So it's been a, it, I kind of have a lost three days since leaving Norman's. <laughs> it's just been like a, a whirlwind of chaos. Wow. Wild, wild ride. And that's the problem with travel, right? Like if you're, you know, it's hard when you're traveling, it's hard to manage your household. Oh yeah. Right. And I was like, do I even go if I don't have electricity? I can't leave my family here with no electricity or actually yeah, I can't yeah. leave my family. I, I can leave them with no electricity. I can't leave them with no internet. Maybe <laughs> that's the priority. Well, internet is now a tier on Maslow's hierarchy of needs, you know. It's funny. It's actually very frustrating and stressful because, you know, you work from home. Mm-hmm. When you don't have electricity or internet, it's and you're just trying to tether off your cell phone and whatever battery or little generator you have. Oh, yeah. It's just not the same. It's actually very stressful to, to try and cope instead of just calling it a bankruptcy. Yeah. It's like trying to work on a plane, I've decided, right? Like... <laughs> You know, unless you're sitting up in business class and you got the space to really like get set up, it's just like in coach trying to like type on your little laptop. No, with the yeah. airplane Wi-Fi. So should we jump into some of the news here? I did actually have something that is analog I can bring up. So when I didn't have any internet, my wife who just started her new job, she's going to be a high school uh, guidance counselor. Mm-hmm. So she has a magazine sitting on the kitchen table called the American School Counselor Association. 
and I open up this magazine. I actually have it here. Can you hear a little paper rattle? I hear I hear the flipping of the pages. And the third page in, a full page ad says, a career in accounting is about way more than numbers. And then it says, although it does have some pretty impressive ones. And this is an ad from the AICPA. Targeting college counselors. Ta- targeting high school counselors who would be encouraging high school kids to pick accounting as a major when they move on to college. So it has a website. It's called startheregoplaces.com. And it talks about um, that it's number three for the best business jobs. Junior level accountants at large firms make 67000 to 87000 a year. Mm-hmm. 62% have at least one job offer before graduation. The profession's expected to grow 11% between now and 2024. And then apparently his accounting came number five when it came to the best STEM jobs. So I just thought it was very, uh, very analog that, you know, the AICPA is reaching out at a young, they're going after high school kids trying to build the profession. Well, they're actually going after the high school guidance counselors to encourage the kids to go into accounting, which I think is, is great. The influencers, the true the influencers, influencers right? yes. the first influencers. <laughs> well, that's funny because I spotted an article on a related topic uh, in the Wall Street Journal about these elite master's degrees that cost six figures. And there's people still going into this. The headline is financially hobbled for life, the elite master's degrees that don't pay off. The subhead. Columbia and other top universities push master's programs that fail to generate enough income for graduates to keep up with six-figure federal loans. And it's a bit of a hit piece on Columbia University, which is uh, featured here. They have a program for their master's program. Um, It's like uh, film. If you want to be a filmmaker, you can study that at Columbia. And it's insanely expensive. And then, of course, you know, how many people who want to, are aspiring directors actually get jobs doing that? Very, very few. And, you know, it just made me feel better about being a career changer myself going into accounting. And I didn't even have to go get a master's to do it. You can actually, you know, do it without getting the master's, fortunately, still. You just got to get that fifth year of education. So I did a certificate program. And it's like the cost is, about, is maybe a third to a half at most. And the odds of getting income or, or paying off are much higher. Oh, yeah. And I mean, I estimated I spent $10,000 on the CPA exam, the courses I took to do this, to get my CPA. And I was able to work the whole time. So I, and, and I actually built a business while I was doing it. So I was you know, getting paid as opposed to not working, which there's opportunity costs involved in there. You know, a lot of these programs, it looks like, you know, as much as half of them, your debt exceeds your income. And sometimes it can be like two or three times as much debt as you make. Can you imagine? Let's say you, you know, get a job making $60,000 a year and you have $180,000 in debt. How do you ever pay that off? Uh, and, and we need to educate people about this, right? That's why that ad in that targeting your, your wife as a guidance counselor is so important because kids just, we don't educate them in, in money. And that's why I ended up doing a, undergraduate degree in music because I had no clue what it cost to live. Nobody ever talked to me about this. I didn't learn about it in school. We never did make your household budget kind of thing. And so I thought, oh, I'll just be a musician and I'll, yeah, it'll be like a bohemian life, right? I'll, I'll work at a coffee shop, I'll gig and I'll be fine. I don't you need a, a bohemian lot of, life. You travel and, and yeah, go to county I mean, conferences. It's kind yeah. of a bohemian life. Yeah. I don't need a lot of things to make me happy. Right. And, you know, 
possessions. But then I moved to LA and I found out, oh my God, even just to eat and sleep, you know, costs more than I was making. So we just need to do a much better job educating. And, and if we can do that, then more people will go into accounting. This episode of the Cloud Accounting Podcast is sponsored by Rewind. Imagine if a meteorite wiped out into its server. It's extremely unlikely, but if it did happen, Intuit would be able to restore all your data and everyone else's that was lost. Rewind has built a backup solution for data loss situations that are way more likely to occur to your client's data. Malicious attacks, buggy apps, disgruntled clients, and of course, ourselves. Human error, the number one reason people lose data. Say goodbye to making manual copies of clients' files, CSV exports, or storing redundancies on hard drives. Rewind is introducing a new way of protecting your data through an automated daily backups and on-demand controlled data recovery. As the leading cloud backup app trusted by over 80,000 organizations around the globe, Rewind has saved thousands of accounting professionals from mind-numbing manual data entry rework. By using Rewind, you can take a proactive approach to your client's data and be the trusted advisor that differentiates you from your competitors by showing your client how Rewind safeguards one of your client's most important assets, their data. To learn even more about Rewind and access a special offer just for listeners of the Cloud Accounting Podcast, head over to cloudaccountingpodcast.promo slash rewind. That is cloudaccountingpodcast.promo forward slash R-E-W-I-N-D. Rewind, protect your data, protect your business. Now, the funny stat, so what I love about our shows, right? I find this article, then I look in your show notes. One of the articles you bring to the show uh, was about uh, graduates that are going to start working at JP Morgan in their wealth management division. <laughs> uh, and this and is stats that are not in this ad, obviously. And this is thanks to Laurel and Wilson, who reposted this on Twitter. The headline is, graduates should expect to work 12-hour days and six days a week to really master their jobs, says JP Morgan exec. So file this under things that executives say that are completely self-serving and uh, probably not true. This is CEO Mary Erdos, E-R-D-O-E-S, probably butchering that. She's the JP Morgan Wealth Management CEO, and she was talking during an episode of Bloomberg Wealth with David Rubenstein. And she said that graduate wealth management analysts, so kids coming out of their bachelors going at to going to work at JP Morgan in wealth management as analysts should expect to work 72 hour weeks and the reason they should do that why they should uh, uh, be happy to work 72 hours a week is because working longer hours helps graduate analysts learn their craft more quickly and she cited the common 10,000 hours argument which I think was popularized by Malcolm Gladwell, right? Malcolm Gladwell. He wrote the book about how it takes 10,000 hours to learn a craft. And I actually do believe that it's roughly 10,000 hours. Having pursued the cello, I can tell you, you really got to get those 10,000 hours in at some point, starting pretty young to, you know, to do it. But, but she uses this 10,000 hours st- uh, study or theory to argue that you know, if you work 72 hours a week, you can accelerate your mastery of wealth management and being an analyst. So if you did it eight hour days, five days a week, it would take you five years to master it. But 
if you work 70, if you work uh, 12 hours a day, six days a week, you can cut that down to two and a half years, <laughs> which, you know, like there's so many things wrong with this, which is, uh, you know, first um, you get diminishing returns. Even in music, if you tried to do this, if you tried to say like learn the cello in two and a half years, it's just not possible because you get diminishing returns after about, you know, hour four to six. And that's why the famous violinist Heifetz only practice four hours a day. And most people will tell you, athletes too, you, you can't do this. You can't do 12 hours a day. You're just physically exhausted, mentally exhausted. It's just not even My it's not possible. Learning that, that 10,000 hours trying to pick it up, you know, when you're 25 is not the same as you start when you're three and you start this, this up yeah. the ladder thing. It's like 10,000 hours, but it's spread over years, right? yeah. like 10 years. So she's just distorting this to, you know, I think basically to try and justify after the pandemic, people coming back to the office and just burning, at, burning them and churning them. Right. And this is the same thing that we do in public accounting. You, you get, you get these smart young people and you convince them that the way to move up is to just work really, really, really hard. And these people are very motivated. They worked hard in school. They work, they want to work hard and move up in banking or investments or accounting or whatever. And, and then you, you lie to them about this. You reap the rewards of all their labor. The, the profits flow to the top. And then most of them churn out, get burned out, and never you know, become partners. And clearly, like, like obviously, nobody's going to leave that message. And AICP is not, not going to have an ad when they talk about how much people make at the top of accounting firms that, oh, by the way, work 72 hours a week. They're not going to put that in the ad because they know nobody wants to do that, but the industry does it. Yeah. It, it, well, and that's the problem with big accounting firms. I think smaller firms don't do this, right? The, the whole selling point of going to a smaller firm is you're going to have work-life balance and you're going to not work insane hours, but it's still this way at the big four where, you know, you shouldn't, you should, I think most, most uh, accountants don't go into it not knowing about this. They're very aware that they're going to work a lot, but I think the rewards are that are promised are just, you know, not true. And yes, you learn a lot, but you you don't learn a lot the whole time you're doing all that, you know, work 12 hours a day. It's 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 just a lot of it is just grind. Plus it's the same work over and over and over again. So exactly you're really good at that one thing. Yeah, you think like spending your whole first year auditing cash is teaching you something useful? You know, maybe the first time you do it, sure. <laughs> but after that, no. They're just they're just using you as you know cheap uh, labor that's on salary, so they try to get as many hours as they can out of you, and that's what you are. You're an asset. You you know that you're a fixed cost, and the the more billable hours they can get out of you, the more profits the partners make. So should we try to jump into something else here? Well, do you mind if we stick on this? Oh yeah, absolutely. This is kind of all related um, to the to sort of like the myth of like big accounting. Um, so I was listening to a town hall, AICPA town hall. They have been doing these weekly webinars during the pandemic, and they're continuing to do them. Kelly Greer, who is the head of uh, Ernst & Young in the United States, was the featured speaker last week. It was interesting because she basically said that accounting in the United States did really well during the pandemic. And it's the usual stuff like we we stepped up. We continued to do high quality audits and and she said one thing that stuck out to me, which is that you know that we are doing a good job because the capital markets are doing so well in the United States. So like the argument is the stock market's doing great, 
therefore, like that's proof that we as accountants are doing good work. But a lot of uh, assumptions there about cause and effect, right? I mean, that's like saying that, um, you know, California is rich because it has high taxes. You know, you, you, you could also say that um, California has high taxes in spite of being economically successful, right? Like that, that it's the opposite kind of situation, that it has nothing to do with it. So, so the, the argument or the point is that's attempting to be made here is X, X public company hit amazing numbers. They're crushing it. Their stock price is up. Everything's up. And it's because of the accounting department, not well, the it's, product they offer? It's because we have um, strong capital markets that protect investors. And so that's what that's what we do as auditors, right? Is we we audit financial statements. We make sure that companies are honest. And that is what allows the United States to lead the world uh, when it comes to our public markets. Okay. That's why it, people okay. want to so invest. We're bringing in, integrity to the market. Exactly. That's the point of view they're bringing. Right, right, right. If it wasn't for um, the, the accountants, markets would not exist properly. Yeah, maybe everybody would be over in China investing. Now, there's some truth to this, right? And and you know, the United States, like we we dominate um, globally when it comes to investment because we have strong legal protections and the rule of law and audits and all this stuff. But there's certainly a lot that could be fixed, and I really, I really think that accounting actually has very little to do with what makes us successful as a country economically, and. Then I was reading this morning, Accounting Today, there was an article by Baruch Lev, and he's the guy who wrote the book, The End of Accounting, which is all about everything wrong with how we do accounting now. And I love it. I highly recommend it. It's a great read. Is that the one where like the gist of it is, hey, investors just invest based on speculation. They don't, got, they don't really care about the gap numbers. Nobody's looking at the numbers to make an investment in Tesla that they want to make money on 10 years from now. Exactly. So- Accounting, Baruchlev's fundamental argument that he has been talking about for years now is that our system of accounting was developed for the industrial era when profits were, were primarily generated by tangible assets, property and equipment. Think railroads. You build railroads, you then use those railroads to generate revenue. Or you build a steel factory, that generates revenue. And the way we capitalize assets is all based on physical assets primarily. And we as accountants have not adapted to the new era of intangible assets. And that the the thing that we miss is that most of the growth companies right now do not generate massive profits from physical equipment and property and, and real estate. They do it from intangible assets like intellectual property and software and uh, users and subscriptions. The whole subscription economy is completely distorted by gap financials. And so if, if you don't have time to go read the book, at least go read this article. It's called The Sad State of Accounting Standards. It's an opinion piece in Accounting Today that was published uh, a few days ago. And um, as a jumping off point, he uses the uh, fact that the International Accounting Standards Board selected a new leader. And the new leader, uh, Andres Barkow, uh, who was running the accounting standards in Germany, is now doing it globally for the International Accounting Standards Board. And as they tend to do when they change leadership, they announce, here's our roadmap for what we're going to do. And the roadmap of all the accounting standard stuff is like kind of niche, uh, small stuff, right? Like um, looking at how 
corporations estimate the future earnings of, you know, insurance contracts or something like that, or like things that don't actually uh, deal with this whole issue of intangibles. The thing that really stuck out to me in the story is, um, is this fact. Baruch Lev did a study that showed that even if you could predict all the companies that will meet or beat analysts' consensus earnings estimates, meaning like you figured out a way to know which companies are going to beat earnings, you wouldn't actually make any money if you invested in those companies. That is how useless earnings numbers are. And I would not make money because I can't predict what the market's going to do? No, no. Even if you could, which you can't, it's impossible. But even if you could only invest in companies that beat earnings estimates, you actually wouldn't make real money. And the reason is that bottom line number is distorted because of gap and isn't actually useful anymore. Oh, okay. Got it, got it, got it. Right. Yeah. So, so all of the, think about all the, the, the big the numbers are good from a gap perspective, but it maybe is not actually a good number. Yeah. Well, and actually a lot of companies that are, you know, growth companies growing from intangible assets look like they're losing money based on gap. I mean, Amazon for 25 years, right? Right. For, for all these years, people said, you're crazy to invest in Amazon because they're losing money. They're losing money. Well, what they were doing was investing in intangibles. And we expense those kind of R&D investments in the period. We don't capitalize that stuff. So if Amazon buys uh, property, like machines, they can capitalize that and it doesn't, it doesn't come out of earnings. It doesn't reduce your earnings for that period. You get to depreciate that over time. But if you invest in some less tangible R&D, which a lot of Amazon is intangible, then that gets expensed in the period and it makes you look like you're doing worse than you are. So this is, this is the big problem with accounting and nobody seems to be paying attention to it. Because it doesn't, it captures a story, but so it like doesn't our, capture the obvious story. It, it, it captures, yeah, it, it doesn't capture the important story, like what was actually happening. So that's why investors aren't using earnings numbers. And he cites another stat, which is that uh, the annual reports of public companies, they have to put these online on an SEC website. They're downloaded on average less than 30 times. If accounting data, the, all the work that we do to create this bottom line number, the earnings number, like earnings per share, and the, you know all the reporting that we do for them to comply, if this was actually useful to investors, they would be looking at it and investing based on it would help you make money, but it doesn't. Like this uh, is the real problem. Uh, yeah, it's kind of a, makes me go back to that, your last article about how great accountants and the work we're doing is so important. And then to think about this, you, people, there's people that spent millions and millions of hours. Like their only job is to get that quarterly report out every quarter. Right. Right. If you work for a public and, company, yeah, that's a lot of what you do. Publish it all nicely and compile everything. And it's a lot of work to do. And then imagine that you do that and 30 people downloaded it. And probably six of it is your own team. Just make sure the download link works. So it's oh, just a compliance depressing. exercise. Depressing. Well, and so this is why I like working with small businesses because when you do management and accounting for them, you're actually creating data that they look at and they use and they find meaningful, <laughs> right? So like that is, that is where we can make a real difference as accountants is powering the small business economy. But this whole like giant public company, um, you know, reporting thing, it's like... <laughs> Your work papers, nobody ever looks at that, but also nobody ever looks at the final product, the financial reports. All right. So I have an idea. It's a little late. Maybe we can still print up. I'm going to print up a t-shirt for you for the ICPA and you can walk around wearing it that just says like, what you're doing doesn't matter. <laughs> what you're doing that. doesn't matter. 
<laughs> you'd be really popular. Well, and then it's like, why would you work 72 hours a week or something for something that ultimately means nothing? We're not even like defending the capital markets and holding that up in that regard. It's just all, it's all just a compliance exercise that means nothing. This episode of the Cloud Accounting Podcast is sponsored by Dark Horse CPAs. Creating a CPA firm from scratch is hard. Scaling it is even harder, and doing it alone sucks. Let's face it, being a CPA and being an entrepreneur are two entirely different things. If you're currently at the management level at a CPA firm and you're considering either leaving public accounting or going out on your own, you've got to take a look at Dark Horse CPAs. At Dark Horse, you'll have everything you need to quickly build a profitable book of business. From training and coaching to leading edge technology and a supportive community who helps each other succeed, this is your best shot at a better career in public accounting. It's all the upside of opening up your own firm without the risks and responsibilities of owning the business. If you want to learn more about improving your accounting career with Dark Horse, head over to cloudaccountingpodcast.promo slash darkhorse. That is cloudaccountingpodcast.promo forward slash D-A-R-K-H-O-R-S-E. Or catch them at their booth at AICPA Engage this month. I could stay in the state of uh, you know, accounting industry type news, if you'd like. And this actually uh, came out of some conversations at Accounting Salon. You know, a lot of people are trying to, there's, nobody can hire, right? So a lot of people are using outsourced labor. And we've talked about this. You can in the Philippines, right? Or India, you can get people for very cheap, four or $5 an hour. And you know, a lot of them have college degrees. It's very good quality labor. And a lot of accounting firms is a model. A lot of firms are doing this. is a model a lot of startups are doing to sell services to accounting firms. Well, there's a podcast on Planet Money, which is, again, everybody should subscribe to this and listen to this podcast, but there's a video game called Old School RuneScape. I don't know. I've never played it. I don't know what it's about. But in this video game, you know, it's a typical stuff. There's tribes, there's clans. You can go around and collect gold. So you collect gold and some of these things to buy virtual goods. And apparently some of these things are valuable in the real world. Well, apparently there's a clan of players that got together. And they were storing all this stuff in like some sort of virtual cave. But a lot of the players are in the US. A lot of the players have jobs. And you couldn't guard that cave 24 hours a day. You just couldn't do it. Mm -hmm. So what they did is they discovered, hey, there's a lot of Venezuelans who have hyperinflation. They don't have jobs. And they were hiring Venezuelans to guard the cave. So they were outsourcing their video game playing to Venezuelans. <laughs> So, well, what happened is all the Venezuelans started talking to each other and said, hey, why are we protecting these guys, their real assets for, you know, pennies on the dollar? Why don't we just form a clan of ourselves and just take the whole thing over? And it's become a, a country thing now, like Venezuela versus the world in this video game. And they're controlling all the money and the power in this video game because they all banded together, but they were all really penny pushing subcontractors. So... So, so are you saying that if we outsource all of our accounting work to the Philippines or India, that maybe uh, they will take over our firm? 
<laughs> or take over the industry. Like what happens if they all talk to each other and band together and just decide, why are we doing this for $4 an hour? We could just form the Filipino firm, mm-hmm. take their clients and charge clients $150 an hour, or $200 an hour. Yeah. So I just, it's just, I thought there's some parallels there. So it's an interesting story, but it, it's, it's that relationship of a foreign based subcontractor that you're paying, you know, arguably taking advantage of. You know, right. I right. mean, it's what the market pays in that market is what it is. But what if they, what if they pull together? What if they, yeah. I'm not going to say wake up, but what if they decide to pull what happened in this video game? Well, that's, that's interesting. I could, I could see that happening. I think ultimately we're going to be out offshoring. Every firm will be offshoring because there's just, there's, there's not enough talent, right? And even if the AICP tries and gets more accounting students, it just can't catch up. We don't have enough. So it's going to be a combination of offshore and uh, automation. That that's the only way that we manage to to keep up. We were talking about this at accounting salon at the conference that the number one problem everyone has is talent. It's uh it's too much work and not enough people to do the work. Especially in the tax and audit space. Oh my gosh, yeah, taxing is yeah, and it's it's like impossible to find a senior tax manager, somebody who really knows this stuff. Impossible. They're a unicorn. So speaking of automation technology, shall we get into app news? Yeah. So, David, I'm just going to rip off the Band-Aid. I'm going to talk about PPP. <laughs> He's doing app news. <laughs> it is app news because... I feel cheated now. The Small Business uh, Administration, the SBA, is creating its own PPP loan forgiveness portal. The platform is expected to simplify the process for small business owners and lenders alike. I guess they're doing this because not all the banks are able to do it or something. Currently, borrowers need to apply for loan forgiveness directly at their lender, but the SBA has decided they're going to create their own forgiveness portal. It has not launched yet. They are expected to unveil uh, details about this. There was some documentation provided to developers that describes a situation in which a borrower can apply for forgiveness directly with the SBA. So that's how this all got leaked. It's likely that this will be limited to those with loans under $150,000. So it'll basically be a website that says, please forgive me. You hit the button and they say, you've been forgiven. Show this to your bank. I help some family members with like their small, you know, SBA uh, PPP loans, like do the forgiveness. And it really is just like, <laughs> it's a form you fill and that's it. Like I say, I use the money for this. There's no documentation required. Just boom, do it. Hopefully this will uh, simplify that process for people. Cause I don't think the banks want to get stuck with these small loans and certainly the uh, people who took them want to get them forgiven. So be looking, looking out for that. What do you got, David? Bill.com has acquired invoice to go. Yes. So, that is invoice to go. So uh, I think they are an invoicing accounts <laughs> receivable solution. Am I, am I right? I, they started out very on mobile first, right? Invoice to go. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and they're, they're fairly old. I mean, old in the grand scheme of like, I think they really launched early on when the first iPads start and iPhones started to come to market. Mm-hmm. So you could do all your invoicing from that. I'd say from a accounting standpoint, they're probably closer towards more of a FreshBooks old model of it's just like, hey, you use this to bill your customers, you know, your, your, you track your time, you create an invoice, it looks nice, you mail it off, um, you send your invoice and it's really just an AR play. They don't have their own GL, any of the things like that. And then eventually, I think they finally, have, finally after years, I think they didn't want to at first, but I think they finally integrate with QuickBooks and Zero, et cetera. So Bill.com is acquiring them for $625 million in a combination of stock and cash. So Invoice2Go has offices in Sydney and Palo Alto. 
Right? So they're you know kind of next door to Bill.com in a way. They basically are going to take the so the way this article or this press release talks about it, it talks about how Bill.com is already an expert in accounts receivable technology, but they're going to integrate uh, whatever invoice to go does well, which is making easy to use, interacting with their customers is easy, having professional looking invoices, right? And just yeah, be yeah. able to use mobile and desktop solutions and dance between the two. Yeah. And I want to call out that statement that they're already an expert in accounts receivable technology. I, I thought that was think, funny. Actually, I highlighted it in my yeah. article as well. Anybody, anybody who's actually used Bill.com knows their AR is terrible. So. This is a great acquisition for them because trying to use Bill.com for AR is just nonsense. So uh, stepping back and leave this at a at a bigger, you know, backed up window here. Yeah. A some part of my brain's like, oh, is Bill.com becoming the new sage where they just buy all these companies and like they all all the apps look different, they taste different. Like, how are they gonna pull this into get to a unified experience? That's the challenge, that, right? That's, like, that's that's a huge I mean, and Sage has been struggling with that for a decade. Right. Well, so Sage, Sage always kind of operated as like a they would they would buy apps and they would rebrand them under the Sage umbrella, and then they would utilize their global marketing and sales organization to push that app into everywhere in the world. Yeah, and that's how they made money. They didn't actually like unify the products. That was fine before apps need to talk to each other and right. people had expectations of things working together. And that's where Sage has really been struggling. Is they they bought um, Sage Intact. And they put the Sage Intact folks in charge of Sage globally. Like the CTO at uh, Intact is now running all of Sage from an IT perspective or from a technical perspective, but they still are struggling to do it. It's really hard to integrate apps that were not developed together. And so that's the challenge. Like, is Bill.com going to be able to integrate Divi into Bill.com? Are they going to be able to integrate invoice to go into Bill.com? That's like, that's hard. These are separate apps. And we'll see if they can do it. I think they will continue to just skyrocket and their stock has been going up and up and up. If they can't, they're screwed. And then if you step back again and look at this, Bill.com now has, they have obviously built the accounts payable. They got accounts receivable. They got, you know, your expense management and expense cards and then the mm-hmm. that game, right? They have an accounting system because Divi owned ZipBooks, which is a cloud accounting, SaaS accounting cloud system. So Bill.com has that. The only thing they're missing is probably a reporting app or dashboard app. And they got the full stack. Because they already have, doesn't Bill.com have a, like a Bill.com credit card or like bank account? If not, maybe they'll, they'll pick that up next too. I, I think that would actually be the thing is, is buy one of their banking partners. Well, I mean, in a way they kind of have, Divi's kind of in that gray area. It's almost that. So if I imagine that was already in Divi's roadmap to just become a bank in the same way Brex did it. We'll see. So they have the, the full stack. So now what, is, what does that make Bill.com, right? Are they now a competitor to Square and Zero and QuickBooks and less of an add-on to those products? No, no I, they want to be the AR, AP, all the money in and out and expenses, right? That's what, that's what that is. And those things are all really linked, right? Money in, money out, that front end experience. So who do they compete against? You know, in in the small business space, like really, they're going up market. It's it's just that's where that's where they're going. They're going because well, they're trying to. I mean, Bill.com's gotten you know the deals, and they're powering the bill pay for a lot of banks, right? And so you know, all the banks want to be in the general ledger game. Now, Bill.com can go to them and be, hey, look, we get your whole general ledger stack right here. Like, don't even don't even build it yourself. Don't don't try to partner with other people. I have all the parts of your stack you need, bank X, to be in the GL game. Um, so. I know I mentioned Square. So Square has lo- officially launched their small business checking account. 
and it's uh, it's comprom- they call it um, Square Banking, and it's really three products. It's their Square Savings Account, their Square Checking Account, and their Square Loans product. And it's they're all tied together, and it's officially launched, and it's just another piece of as these companies build this stack, right? Mm-hmm. The stack just keeps to grow. I mean, we're really, we're just waiting on the official release of the Square GL. I mean, everything else is there now. My ex-employer, Flowcast, which is how I made the leap from accounting into tech, has raised $110 million in a Series D that was led by Meritech Capital. And they're a unicorn, I'm excited to say. So, hey, I've got options that aren't theoretically aren't going to be worthless. So that's very exciting. They were valued at $1.2 billion in this latest round. It's just crazy to think that a software that started out as a financial close checklist is worth $1.2 billion. But it just shows you how there is so much opportunity in augmenting or replacing Microsoft Excel. If I were a hedge fund guy, if I had a bunch of money that people wanted to give me to invest, I would seriously just create a fund where all we do is invest in companies that replace functions of Excel or add on to it somehow, because that's where the money's at. You know, everybody is trying to do this. And I spotted a story in the Wall Street Journal exactly on that topic. The headline is finance chiefs are still t- trying to replace Excel with new tools. <laughs> I mean, you know, we're, we're, still, we're still going down this path and it's going to be years and years before we get there. The story features two different companies that are struggling with Excel and working to replace it. The first one is small. It's called Pure Cycle Corp, a water and land management company based in Watkins, Colorado. Earlier this month, they disclosed that they had corrected an accounting error that originated in an Excel sheet. It was the result of complicated formulas used to allocate costs and a lack of detailed review by the company's management. It was a $500,000 error, and that's a lot considering that they booked $2.6 million in revenue during the quarter ended uh, May 31. So, you know, not a immaterial error caused by an Excel formula. And then they also mentioned Levi Strauss, which is obviously much larger, right? The gene maker. They generated $4.5 billion in revenue this last year, and they told the Wall Street Journal that they still run their supply planning on Excel. Well, Levi Strauss, their supply chain management, raw materials, interactions with suppliers and capacity planning still run on Excel, but they are working to introduce a new tool that uses artificial intelligence to handle those tasks. Meanwhile, monthly usage of Excel is up nearly 30% year over year, according to a Microsoft spokesperson. Microsoft Excel might be the most important piece of software in the entire history of the world. It's the killer app that caused the personal computer to take over. And you know, you, that's, you it put talk, a computer on every desk in every and business. Microsoft should have value priced it from the get-go. <laughs> <laughs> because you'll talk to people that are like, oh, yeah, Microsoft charged me $300 for Excel, but I used it, you know, hedge fund managers, but I used Excel to make $200 billion. It, it's amazing and like how fundamental it's being used for so much money to be made. And it's, but, but people see, are just running on top of Excel. It's, it's, it's truly amazing. Like if Microsoft Word went away tomorrow, people could use a typewriter. But if Excel went away tomorrow, it's over. If there was no spreadsheets. But, but think of it another way. So Microsoft made Excel very cheap, but it was part of this whole solution, the Office, Windows. And they sold that for a lot of money. So take the killer app that everybody needs, make it really affordable, but build an entire ecosystem around it. You could argue that Windows owes its existence, at least at the start, to people needing to 
use Excel. And of course, Word and all those other apps, right? But in our world, Excel, still the king. Um, so yeah, if you're looking to start your own accounting software business or finance software startup, look at how people are using Excel and figure out how you can create a solution that automates a key pain point. And that's what Flowcast was. It was people were tracking their monthly close and their work papers, their their checklist, um, managing that whole thing in an Excel sheet. And initially, that's what Flowcast did. It just took that sheet and gave it an, an Asana-like experience tailored to the needs of accountants. So it had the linkage of the work papers and the tie-out of the trial balance. And it wasn't that complicated. That's what I loved about it. And that's why I joined. It was a very simple thing. Now they're adding in all these other automations, reconcile these giant accounts that you can't reconcile in your ERP, in Flowcast and all that, accelerating the close. But initially it was just a way to manage it for the corporate controller to keep tabs on where everything is. Brilliant. So Visa acquired uh, for 700 million pounds, they're acquiring Currency Cloud. So so remember Visa tried to buy Plaid, right? Because they mm-hmm. wanted financial APIs in the fintech space and that didn't work. And then they wound up acquiring Plaid's competitor, um, Ficinity. So no matter how about Ficinity, Visa just bought that other company. Was it Tink? Pink? A word that runs uh, Tink, like Tinkerbell. Tink, I it remember was Tink. That. So they acquired yeah. Tink and now they're getting Currency Cloud. Currency Cloud is basically APIs and a stack of technology for international or cross-border payments. So Visa is very aggressively you know, putting a stamp in the ground, like we're not going to let somebody else come along with APIs and disrupt our whole business model. So they're buying these companies that are under the cover structure of these third-party apps that are built on top of these APIs. So Visa is going very aggressive on that. And then I have two other other ones that are kind of interesting. So one, this will be interesting to check out when we're at AICPA. There's a company called Anduin, A-N-D-U-I-N. They took $14 million uh, for intelligent practice management. So apparently they were a startup already and they were kind of a, a billing platform of some type for like accounts receivable. And because they were, as they built that, they were talking to lots of CPA firms and now they've decided to get into practice management. So they're going to create this practice management product that will, I'm going to read it here, will constitute a cloud-based, mobile-enabled, open-architected, AI-powered, and module suite, module, modular suite of practice management solutions for the accounting profession. So another one to look at. They'll be there at and then yeah, it's a, it's a CPA engage. So it'll be interesting to see like what this actually is because they're catching all the bu- buzzwords, and it'll be uh you know, we'll see how this kind of comes through. We've got updates to QuickBooks Online for July. You mentioned Square, David. What was the update about Square? It was uh, a checking account. Banking. They got a checking account. Well, they also have a new connection to QuickBooks Online. And I'm always a little skeptical when you get these point of sales that say, oh, we we sync data into your GL because a lot of times they sync every single transaction individually and it's impossible to reconcile when you have high volume. The good news about this new Connect to Square app for QuickBooks Online is that you can choose to bring transactions into QuickBooks as either individual transactions or a summary. They're making changes to estimates and invoices in QuickBooks Online. It seems like these apps are always refreshing that experience. So it's going to make them look more professional. You'll be able to request an upfront deposit on an estimate. You can get alerted when a customer has accepted and paid your estimates and invoices. You can track all your estimates together in one place. And they're adding some mobile features. The trips feature in QuickBooks Online is now available to all admin types 
Until recently, that mileage tracking feature was only available to the primary admin of an account, somewhat of an oversight. By the end of July, this feature will be available to all admin types, primary and company. Although you still, I guess, can't use it if you're not an admin. So I guess they got to work on that. They've made enhancements to bill approval workflows in QuickBooks Online Advanced. So now you have the ability to create a custom approval process for bills. This is the one that is built on top of uh, bill.com. And so now you can create conditions upon which bills do or do not need to be approved in just a few steps. It's available in beta and will be targeted for general availability by the end of July. You can now preview custom roles in QuickBooks Online Advanced. So you can test it out and see what the user will have access to before assigning it to the user. That makes it easier to know that you've assigned the right amount of access and permissions to your users. Okay, so instead of current model, I set up your permissions and I go, okay, Blake, go try it. Tell me what happens. I can actually just make sure it's going to work and I don't have to play that game. Exactly. That's, 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 I think a lot of people, nice. yeah, it used to be you would you know create the user then have to log in as them to make sure that they have access and or you just go back and forth. Yeah, this is much better. Desktop role migration in QuickBooks Online Advanced. So if you are migrating existing desktop users to custom and custom roles to QuickBooks Online Advanced, you don't have to manually recreate each user and custom role during setup. Uh, now, when you migrate, you can make sure user, users have the right permissions. That's I, I don't know if I'm a huge fan of this. Like I look at when you migrate from desktop. So you, you have your and you're going to cloud because usually when you upgrade to cloud, you're changing lots of systems and processes at your company. It's a chance for you to revamp everything. Just bring it straight over. I don't know if it's always the, the best idea. Last one, QuickBooks Online Payroll Employee Onboarding and Flexible Setup. You can now invite clients or employees to enter their personal and tax information, saving you time and making it easier to get started. So this is very similar to that. Gusto, invite the employee. They answer their own information. They fill out all the forms. You don't have to do it. I love that. Good to see that in, in QuickBooks Online Payroll. And they've improved the setup flow so that you no longer have to enter employee information before connecting a bank account to payroll or completing other payroll tasks. This is actually going to be interesting to watch because I feel like QuickBooks payrolls had like two or three in parallel payroll products for a long time. And when you do that, and this goes to like the bill.com situation, when you have multiple products, it's very hard to make any progress. Mm -hmm. And I also feel like Intuit payroll probably hasn't changed in a decade. And now that they made that decision to sunset some of those payroll products, now they're adding new features, right? They can focus, they can double down, they can invest in this. So it'll be interesting to see where online payroll goes in the future now that they don't have extra priority you know, splits of what we should be building you know, versus maintaining. I agree. That's all I've got for this week. How about you, David? Yeah, that's it. If our listeners want to get in touch with us, one of the best ways they can do that is by calling our voicemail number, 202-695-1040, 202-695-1040. Give us a call, leave us a message. We will listen to it and we will likely play it on the air. You can also find me online. I am at Blake T. Oliver on Twitter. How about you, David? I'm at David Leary on any of the uh, socials. If you're connecting on LinkedIn, just say I'm not a bot. So I know that you're not a bot and we'll go from there. And David, I'll see you. Very soon, tonight. About six hours, seven hours. Yeah, that's a pack tomorrow. Take another flight, but it's nice because <laughs> it's a it's only Vegas flight, which is easy. It's easy flights super from easy. Arizona. Assuming nope. you know they haven't canceled flights because there's you know this ma massive amount of rain for rain we're having in Arizona and Nevada. I saw the Las Vegas is the exact same way. 
let's hope we can take off. Um, all right. I'll see you soon, David, and I'll see you back here next week. Bye. Bye. Time for the classifieds. If you're looking to fast track a scalable seven-figure accounting firm without having to work a million hours a week, check out Ryan Lozanis' online coaching membership, Future Firm Accelerate. The Future Firm Accelerate program is designed around Ryan's experience of taking his own cloud firm from scratch to sale so that you don't have to reinvent the wheel. You'll get online learning and topics that help you automate and systemize all aspects of your firm, coaching when you need help with implementation, and you'll also join a collaborative community of hundreds of other forward-thinking accounting firm owners. For more details, head over to www.futurefirmaccelerate.com. That is futurefirmaccelerate.com. Are you an accountant or bookkeeper who wants to get the most out of Zero? Zero, a comprehensive guide for accountants and bookkeepers is available now. Author Amanda Aguilar shares eight years of experience using Zero in her own practice to connect the dots between accounting theory and software. See why Zero founder Rod Drury calls her a proven expert in getting the most out of the Zero platform and ecosystem. Buy it now on Amazon or through your local bookseller. I quickly wanted to let you know about a new project that I've been working on for the last year or so. I'm launching a podcast network called Accounting Podcast Network. It has new podcasts that I know you'll love, like the Accounting Salon Conversations podcast hosted by Amanda Aguilar and the Accounting Automation Workflows podcast co-hosted by Brian Clare and Heather Satterley. Head over to accountingpodcastnetwork.com. That's accountingpodcastnetwork.com. Want to get the word out about your newsletter, webinar, party, Facebook group, podcast, ebook, job posting, or that fancy Excel macro you just created? Why not let the listeners of the Cloud Accounting Podcast know by running a classified ad? Hit the show notes for the link to get more info.